Well, good morning again, church family. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Acts 1. We're also going to be in Luke chapter 24. Uh, nobody likes it when you jump around, but we're going to jump around just a little bit. Now, uh, growing up, uh, growing up, we were instructed not to use uh, four-letter words, and now all of you are wondering, well, what words, Pastor? Well, not those kinds of words, but there's a word that I did not like growing up. It's a word that, that we use all the time in our, our home, and it's a word I'm sure you use in your home as well. It's just a four-letter word, and uh, that word is the word wait. When you got kids... And you ever having a conversation with somebody and they just walk up and just start like tapping you? Or, or maybe, hey, mom, 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 dad, dad, mom, mom. And then it comes like this DJ starts doing this beat to it. But I, it's like, hey, will you wait? Like, can you just wait for like 10 seconds? One, two, three. I mean, it's like, come on. Like, you're killing me, right? I mean, so wait is not something any of us like. We don't like to wait for anything. We don't like to wait for our food to come. We don't like to wait for the light to change to green. Uh, we don't like for summer to be over. I mean, my goodness, can we have another 100-day day? I mean, it's just been insane. It's been hot. I think Texas moved closer to the sun the last month, all right? But we've been, it's, it, it's just one of those things that you just have to wait. Nobody likes to wait. We know patience is a virtue, and maybe you've prayed this. I've prayed this before. Uh, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. (laughs) We've all been there. But waiting, waiting is something that Jesus specifically instructed the disciples to do after he resurrected. Right before he ascends into heaven, he tells them in verse 4 of chapter 1 of Acts to wait in Jerusalem. And we're going to see what they do when they wait. So here, here's the title of the message today, if you're taking notes. Three requirements when you're waiting on the Lord. Three requirements, three things you must do when you're waiting on the Lord. We're going to start in Luke 24. It's going to give us context, and then we'll jump to Acts chapter 1, okay? We'll put on the screen in Luke 24, then we're going to camp out in Acts 1. If you're there, will you say word? If you're there, let's, let's uh, I, I, yeah, if you're there, say word. All right. Good. Okay, two of you. Then he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them, and while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven after Watch this now. Worshiping him. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. Now jump over just a few pages to Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9. This is the same time frame, friend. Same time frame. Acts 1 verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. We believe these are angels. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven, meaning that he's going to return. Verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, uh, the son of James. Verse 14, 
They all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Three requirements while you wait on the Lord. Again, nobody likes to wait on anything, but the first thing we see from our text is that waiting requires worship. Waiting requires worship. You see it in in Luke chapter 24, it says that they worshiped him with great joy. You, You worship that which you find worthy. You worship that which you find worthy, and what we see them doing while Jesus has ascended is we see them worshiping. You don't see them going, oh man, this is going to take, what what is going on? Why is this happening? Now, there is a sense in Luke, I mean in Acts chapter 1, that they're gazing up into heaven, but I mean, I'd gaze too. I wouldn't know what I was looking at. They're gazing up, and then the angel sends them on, but they're, they're collectively worshiping the Lord because he is worthy to be worshiped. This is, if you go back and read the Gospel of Luke, which I did this last week, if you go back and read it, this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that the disciples are specifically revealed to have worshipped Jesus in this manner. It's the first time that they have collectively, that Luke, who wrote this book, Luke points out, hey, they they actually recognize the worthiness of Jesus. They're worshipping him the resurrected Jesus, the now ascending Jesus, they're collectively worshiping him. It's the first time that's been used in the Gospel of Luke. Luke, when you're you're waiting on the Lord, whatever the Lord has instructed of you, you're not sitting on your hands, you're worshiping Jesus. When Jesus reveals himself for who he is, it's my conviction that you can't help but worship him. Jesus, who's worthy of worship, Uh, regardless of the style of music. You you realize that you and I should be able to worship to any type of style, provided it's bringing honor and glory to the Lord. We might like particular preferences of style, but in the end, it's not about the style of music, it's about the one we're singing to. And there's some styles that I prefer over others. Did you know that? Yeah, I have preferences, But you know what the Lord says about our preferences? Who cares? You say, really? Where does he say that? He says that every tongue, every tribe, every nation is going to glorify him. And they're going to worship him who receives all worthy and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. So provided that we're singing songs glorifying the God of gods, the Lord of lords, King of kings, but provided we're glorifying King Jesus, worshiping in the spirit and in in truth, who cares what the style is? Because the disciples' style of music didn't, didn't even match our style of music. My rant's over. Worship requires Waiting requires worship, but secondly, see that was a quick point, that's because these next two are really long. Waiting requires obedience. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says that as uh, they were, I know it's a lot, I skipped a whole bunch, you're welcome. Verse 12 says that they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. Why were they doing this? Because in verse 4, Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem. 
So they are worshiping Jesus. He's promised them in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the power of the Holy Spirit was going to come upon them. They would then be witnesses of Jesus to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But while they were waiting, they were obeying. Waiting requires obedience. Waiting requires obedience. When you're called upon the Lord and you're asking him of something, you don't just don't you don't do nothing, you do the things that you know you ought to be doing. What were we to be doing? They were worshiping the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. They were loving God, but they were also loving one another. My brother, my sister. One of the key things we're to do when we're obeying the Lord is to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love one another as ourself. And if you say, well, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. I'm still waiting on him to give me instructions. Friend, I can tell you it's likely because you haven't begun to obey the Lord in the very things that he has told you to do that you don't know what you're to do next. You, 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 here's the deal for me. When I was younger, when I was younger uh, we struggled financially with our budget. And I would, I would spend money on all the things that I wanted to spend money on, and then I would give unto the Lord. And I always found myself of running out of money. But then when we made the decision to start giving to the Lord our first fruits, like the first thing, I have, whatever I'm doing, the first thing on the list, whenever we get that, the, those dollars, we would give unto the Lord that which God had called us to give, which by the way, it's a heart thing, it's not a number thing, it's just a heart thing. When we just began to do that, it seemed to be that we, it, the end result was that we were never struggling for money by the end of the month. You say, are you preaching health and wealth prosperity? I'm not saying health and wealth prosperity. I'm just saying that when we prioritize that which God had already told us to do, which we are to give unto the Lord, that, a portion of that which he's given to us, when I just made that a priority in my life, it seemed to be that we, we ate beans and rice not because we had to, because we wanted to. We just found ourselves not struggling. So some of us in this room are struggling financially because you've not been honoring the Lord with that which he's given you. Some of you don't feel like you're, you're stuck in life. You're, you're, you're not going where you want to be going. It may be because you, you haven't actually been doing the things that he's called you to do already. I mean, I'm, I'm less worried about what I don't know in Scripture, and I'm more concerned about obeying that which I do know in Scripture. Like sometimes we can get all tied up in all these other things, but the reality is that obedience, obedience, obedience is a portion and is a requirement when it comes to waiting on the Lord. Are you waiting on the Lord for something? Maybe in your waiting, it's time to begin obeying. Maybe in your waiting, waiting it's time to obey. You, you have to understand that you, the Lord has made his will clear to us. You say, what? Yeah, did you, did you know, like, like we have been told this is God's will. So our little antennas should go up. I mean, there's already been confirmed aliens here, so there they are. Your little antenna should go up whenever you say, hey, a pastor's about to tell us what the will of God is. Here it is. You ready? comes from 1 Thessalonians. This is the will of God, your sanctification, your holiness, your purity. So you say, what is God's will for me? That you be holy, that you, you don't watch that stuff that just does not add any value to your life. That you don't listen to those things that don't add value to your life. They don't involve in those things that just detract from you. Man, you, you live a life that you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be nervous if your mom caught you doing it. 
We had a cookie jar growing up. My dad was into making jars and, and things out of pottery. and You wouldn't want your hand caught in that. I mean, don't do the things. This is God's will for you. Don't do the things that are going to take away from your holiness and purity. You say, well, we're all grace, man, forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, there's liberty. There is. But I'm just saying, you need to know, this is God's will for you, that you live holy and righteous before him. And, and maybe, maybe you're not growing in your faith, or maybe you're kind of stuck in life, or maybe you're dissatisfied in life. In part, it might be because you haven't actually been obeying the things that you know you ought to be obeying. I mean, how come... How come people aren't coming to faith when I, in my life? Well, are you, actually, are you actually sharing the good news of the gospel with anybody? So waiting requires obedience. And we often learn obedience best when we can't give all the reasons as to why we're obeying. Like the problem in our Western mindset, the problem in America is that we want to rationalize all of our decisions. We want to come to a conclusion that is logical and makes sense. And sometimes God invites you to do things that don't make sense in American economy. But it makes total sense in his economy. Like if God has called you to do something, you better step into it or you're actually going to be walking in disobedience. And James tells us this, for him who knows what is right to do and to not do it to him, it is sin. This means that when God has called us to do something, if you don't take a step forward in it, you're actually walking in disobedience to him. We often learn obedience in situations in which we cannot see why we're called to do what we're doing. Our problem is that we want it all to make sense, and sometimes God's economy doesn't make sense. Waiting requires obedience. So often when God calls us to do something, we often come with all the reasons why we shouldn't do it. You ever had friends come and tell you what God, you, they believe God has called them to do and you just tell them, well, that's, that's just the dumbest thing ever. Why would you ever, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. I don't know, man. God has called us to do it. We're going to walk in obedience to it. And we're going to trust him, that he's sovereign enough, even if we're making a mistake in, in the American economy or in, in, our, in our friend's economy, man, we're, we're trusting that it's the right thing to do because God has confirmed it in our hearts. But here's where I want to land because waiting requires worship and waiting requires obedience, but um, waiting requires prayer. Look at verse 14. They. Who are the they? Uh, the they in the text are the disciples. They list them out. The they are some women. Now, who, who were these women? We, we don't really know who these women were, particularly by name, but we know that in Luke 8, there were women that were financially supporting the ministry of Jesus. We know that uh, when Jesus uh, was uh, at the cross, there was ladies there present. We know that when he resurrected, uh, some angels uh, came to these ladies, and then they went and told the message to disciples. So we, we don't know exactly who the women were, but we know that women were there in this upper room. But then it says Jesus' family. Did you see that? His family was there. It's in verse 14. The mother, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. What's so fascinating about this is that in Mark chapter 3, we're told that his family tried to come and bring him home. Like it was an intervention moment. Like, hey, Jesus, you've, you've embarrassed us enough. Why don't you come home now? 
we've gathered together and we're sitting down with you to say it's time to come home. What did Jesus say? Who is my father? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sisters? But those who do the will of my father. Like part of the reason why I think they were obeying Jesus is because they'd watched Jesus obey the father. The reason why they were obeying Jesus in this moment is because they'd watched Jesus obey as well throughout his life. And even he will pray, uh, my, I've, I've accomplished the will of you on this earth. Now glorify me in this body. It's what he prays in John 17. And so now we have they. They're all gathered here in this upper room. And what were they doing? Worship, obedience, and now waiting requires prayer. They were continually united. The word united is this word homothumadon. That's the Greek word. It's just fun to say. Homothumadon. It, it just means this idea that they were all of one mind. They weren't distracted. They weren't divided. They weren't thinking about what they had to do after this. They had gathered together for 10 days, and they were all of one mind. What were they praying? Jesus had promised in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon them, and they would become witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They were praying that the Holy Spirit would come on them in power. And he said, wait a minute, Jesus had promised them this. Why were they praying for it? Why were they homothumadon? Why were they united over this? Why were they on this? Why, why, why? Because even though Jesus has promised us something, we're still to ask him for it. What do you mean? Well, in the Lord's Prayer. And I learned it in King James, so forgive me. You can blame my mom. She's here today, and you can take it out with her. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who are debtors towards us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Now, what is in that? Notice that you, you're praising God, but then you are asking, give us this day our daily bread. Well, hasn't he promised to provide for us? Yes, he's promised to provide for us. But you still ask him. Yes, he promised them the Holy Spirit, and yet what did they do? They still asked, they were praying and pleading, and what does it say? It says they were continually. The idea behind this word is that they were steadfast. So for 10 days, they gathered in this upper room, and they prayed. What did they do? They, they woke up, and they prayed. They had fellowship together, but they prayed. They would then go to bed. And what were they doing? They were praying. They were praying for 10 days. We don't know anything else. And what did they pray? We don't really know other than that the Holy Spirit did come upon them. But maybe they did this little structure of they gave adoration to God. Adoration is a word we don't really use. But adoration is just simply praising God for who God is. You say, well, I don't know how to begin in prayer. You begin in prayer by just praising God. Giving him adoration. You are more worthy than I am. You are glorious and beautiful. Maybe they also had a little bit of confession, meaning that they were mindful that some of them had abandoned Jesus at the cross. I mean, everybody scattered like a cockroach when a light came on. They went all kinds of other places. So maybe they were feeling some sense of confession. They were confessing their sins. Maybe there was a bit of thanksgiving. Maybe there was a bit of where they were just thanking God for who he is and what he has done and then maybe maybe they were making supplications the word we don't really use anymore but supplications is just making requests unto God 
Who knows? But they were together, continually united in prayer. If our church is to be united around anything, it should be prayer. I, I love you. But college football season's coming up, and some of you will not speak to the other because they're friends or fans of LSU. Pray for them. I mean, literally, it's Death Valley. Who, I mean, what is, what is that? My, my point is, is that we, we will be divided over all kinds of things, but, but listen, the church is to be united praying together to the Lord. I, we're not always going to agree on everything. Isn't that a shock? Like, there's some tertiary issues that we're just not going to agree on, but what we should continually be united in is in prayer. Seeking the Lord. Waiting requires us praying. A church that obeys is a church that prays. If we're going to be a church that obeys the Lord, we're going to be a church that prays to the Lord. And desperate times, boy, I, I don't know anybody in any country <clears throat> who just loves what's happening everywhere in the world. Like, I don't know anybody who says, man, when I think about all the things that are happening in the world globally, it's going great. Like, I don't know anybody. There's some that might think that, and that's, that's you're very optimistic, thank you. But how does that change? How does all this transform? The Bible, <coughs> excuse me, has been very clear. They were continually united in prayer. And what is the result of this is that the Holy Spirit does come upon them. Now, again, we believe that when you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. His power is inside of you. You don't need the second baptism. You, you need the Lord to come and transform your heart. And when Jesus transforms your heart, the Holy Spirit then lives inside of you. And you want to hear the Lord work? You want to hear the, the word of the Lord? You want the Lord to guide your steps? Friend, open your Bibles. I, listen, I, I find time to do all kinds of things. I find time to eat. Abby and I crushed it yesterday in the clearance aisle at Brookshire's. I mean, we crushed it. I find time to eat. I, I find time to, to do my hobby. I find time to read whatever I want. I find time to watch ridiculous videos on Instagram. I find time. I find time to scroll and see what y'all are doing on Facebook and just kind of going, oh boy, we need to be continually united in prayer. <laughs> I, find, I find time for all kinds of things, but friend, let me tell you something. You, you must find time to be in God's word. And how come I'm not hearing a word from the Lord? God uses his word, we're told, to correct us, rebuke us, instruct us, and teach us. The Holy Spirit may seem silent to you, but it's probably because you've not been in his word. You say, well, I have a hard time. I mean, I got I to drive an hour. I got an hour commute every day. Hey, listen, did you know that the original people who heard the scriptures, it was a letter to churches, and they would read it out loud? So it's not cheating for you to, to have an audio Bible. 
So maybe for your commute to work, don't listen to talk radio. It just makes you angry. Listen to God's word. Like seriously, anybody ever listen to talk radio and go, man, I feel happier about life. But what would happen, what would happen if you spent that 20 minutes listening to God's word? And here's what's so crazy. A church decided just to make the Bible available for free in like almost every language. It's incredibly useful. And you can pick whatever translation you want and it will read it to you like you're a nine-year-old at bedtime. But we, if we're going to obey the Lord, must be continually in prayer. What does Colossians 4.2 say? Devote yourselves to prayer. What does Psalm 55 say? Cast your burdens unto, unto the Lord. What does 1 Peter 5.7 say? Cast your, 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 uh, your comforts un, uh, excuse me, unto him because he cares for you. Cast your concerns on him because he cares for you. And so maybe in your waiting, you ought to be praying. And in your praying, you're just casting them unto the Lord and giving him space to answer. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Notice he doesn't say he's going to give you all the steps along the way. He's going to make your way straight. Worship, obedience, prayer. 2 Chronicles 7.14 is very clear. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, then I will heal their land. And, and listen, friend, I know that we can maybe put America into that, but that really applies to every nation. I mean, in Malawi, that, that verse applies. My people. If God's people would humble themselves. And pray. Seek his face. Turn from their wicked way. Then he will heal. They were continually united in prayer. I have an older brother. I don't talk about him much. I love my brother. Um, this, this week, I won't go into any details, but this week was probably one of the worst weeks of his life. It's his, his story to tell, but... It was terrible. I spent more hours on the phone this week with my brother than I'd like to. But he didn't have really much of anybody left to talk to. Years ago, uh, he shared with me that he wanted to go into this new business venture. It's kind of a side hustle, if you will. He was going to do soda machines. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing you could ever do. Uh, why would you want to have soda? You got to refill them with Big Red and Mountain Dew, and, and which, by the way, those are like the top sellers where he puts these. And so he's he's got all these machines all over San Antonio. And I thought he was crazy. He said, "Man, I don't know. I feel like the Lord's leading me to do it. I'm going to do it." I said, "Okay, that's fine, crazy guy." So he called me uh, some months ago and said, "I want to use this as a tool to share the good news of the gospel." I said, "How are you going to share the gospel with a Big Red? I don't understand. How's it going to work?" He said, I don't know, the Lord just let it on my heart. I'm going to put tracks on the side of my, of, of my Coke machine. It's going to be great. I was like, is it? I mean, this is me, a pastor, really pessimistic. I would say realistic, but it's more pessimistic. So lo and behold, yesterday he sends me a video, just kind of, not randomly, he just sends me a video, and, and, and it's a picture of his, uh, one of his Coke machines. You can see it right there. It's hard to kind of tell, but you can see the duct tape all over it. Essentially, yesterday, he got a call from an unknown number, and, and so he just let it go to voicemail, but it was the police. That's always fun. 
So he answered it, and he called them back. They said, hey, sir, we, we've got your Coke machine here, and it uh, looks like and we have eyewitnesses that say a, a homeless man actually took a machete at it and tried to break into it. And he said, well, did they take anything? He's like, no, they didn't take anything. No Cokes, no quarters, no nothing. They didn't steal anything. And so as he was going to repair it, all of a sudden these four young ladies walk up to him and they're talking about his Coke machine and just kind of sharing about what happened and they had seen some of it. And, and he said to them, he said, you know, what's, you know what's so crazy? He sent me another video after this. He, he said, you know what's so crazy about this, ladies? He said, uh, this damage to this Coke machine is so temporary, it can be repaired. What's even worse is those who do not know Christ, if they don't know Jesus, they'll spend an eternity separated from him. They'll never be able to have the damage that's been done to their life repaired. So then from there, he just began to share the gospel with them. I don't know all the things that he shared with them, but he just began to share the good news of the gospel with them. And then he asked them the specific question, have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord? And they said, no. He said, would you like to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they said, yes. And they gave their life to Christ. He then sent me a text and said, man, if I could have every machine break and get, try to get broken into every day, if you told me that four people would come to faith in Christ and their eternity changed forever, I would do it willingly. I feel like the Lord's leading me to do these Coke machines. That's crazy. Why would you do that? Hey, I want to use that as a tool to share the good news. That's even weirder. What are you doing? And now all of a sudden, this is not the first time James has called me about these kinds of reports that people have come to faith just out of a simple sharing with them a Coke and then sharing the good news of the gospel with them. They were to wait because the Holy Spirit was coming. And verse 8 says so that they could be witnesses. Friends, whatever you're waiting on, it's in prep for you to be a witness of the good news of the gospel. Because people have a shelf life like a piece of, of yogurt that sits outside of the refrigerator. We don't have long. Each one of us don't know how long we're going to live. But you need to know this today. God loves you and he cares deeply about you. If God didn't love you and he didn't care deeply about you, you wouldn't be here today. You think it's by chance that you're here today? You think God's that flippant with your life? No, he cares about you, so you're here today. And God loves you enough that he doesn't just love you to say, okay, you're here. He's saying to you today, hey, I love you enough that even though your sin has separated us, I have sent Jesus to die in your place. And he lived the life you could not live. He died the death you deserve to die. And in that, Jesus dies in your place. But not only that, he goes to a tomb that was not marked with his name, but somebody else's name, maybe even yours. And that tomb, he sat in for three days, but then he resurrected like he had promised, proving that he was sovereign over sin, but also over death. And if today you would just admit you're a sinner and believe that only through Jesus you could be saved and confess him as Lord, you will be saved. And your eternal security will be found sure in him. And some of you are in this room and you don't know Christ. You don't even know why you're here today. But maybe... Maybe to some degree you've been waiting, but you've been wandering. You've been waiting, but you've been aimless. Friends, before I came to know Jesus, I was insecure and narcissistic. It was great. <laughs> I wanted to please everybody. So insecure. But soon I realized that that was sin. And Jesus convicted me. He forgave me of my sin, and now I follow Jesus. And out of that, I now have purpose. 
And I realize my God, my God has called me to serve others. Do you have a story like that? Don't wander when you wait. Let's pray. Father, we come. And we need you. God, there's those in this room that never trusted in you. Lord, today may be the day that they need to cross over that goal line. Lord, would you lead them in your conviction of the Holy Spirit that they would not try to wait till later. They would deal with business now. God, you're pursuing people all the time. And Lord, it's not so that we can make this church bigger. We want to see your kingdom bigger. We want to see heaven full. Lord, we know that wide is the way to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. And Lord, we believe that that narrow path should have a long line. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would do a mighty work in this moment. That, Lord, if there are those that need to trust in you today, they would come forward and they would trust in you. Lord, there are those in this room that are convicted to pray because they've been waiting, but they've not been praying. They've been waiting, but they've not been obeying. They've been waiting, but they've not been worshiping. And Lord, today you've convicted them and they want to commit to you today to reaffirm their weight. You are good to us, Father, in so many ways, a thousand ways of which we cannot see. But Lord, we're asking that you would move in this place in Christ's name.